Joined now by our friend Bruce McCurdy from the Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. Bruce, how are you today? I'm well. Alan, how about yourself? Good. Have you gone for your walk yet? No, I have not. I've been walking indoors at uh, Service Place this last while for reasons that I suspect you'll recognize. Yes, uh, I'm, I'm with you on that. Iciness and temperature both. So uh, better to be safe than uh, in the hospital. <laughs> so Oilers, Leafs, fun hockey, Bruce. A wonderful hockey game to watch. Mistakes yeah. for sure, but also high, high skill. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Didn't start off very fun for Oilers fans. My goodness, first three plays featured a Toronto goal, a four-on-two rush, rush that thankfully they butchered crossing the blue line, and then a goal post from like point-blank range in the, within two minutes of the first period. And it seemed like the blowout might be on. And I, I must admit I had concerns going in. I thought Toronto was going to be coming into this game like a bear with a sore paw. Because they lost three straight, you know, but and they did. They started that way, but uh, Edmonton, I don't know what it is, but it's just, you know, they give in the first goal and then they just inexorably fight their way back into the hockey game and find some way to score just enough to, to win. They're not blowing anybody out. They're just winning games. Bruce, that first goal for me was interesting because the, the, the pa- I thought the pass was high skill, Obviously, you'd like somebody to interfere with it or get in the way or block the shot. And, and uh-huh. uh, uh, you, you know, it was a I'm going to say it's a fairly easy goal. But but Matthews is also a marksman, but he had a lot of yeah. net. Um, yeah. When you're breaking down that, I know you do errors on that play. Yeah. Uh, who gets the errors on that play for Cult of Hockey? Oh, I think we gave out four errors on that play. Although I'm, I'm we're still debating whether Hyman deserved one he was kind of standing still as uh, as Matthews skated by him but I thought he was you know playing his position covering the point uh to me the uh, primary one was Bouchard who yes. first of all coughed the puck up in the uh on the breakout pass that it came right back at him and then was kind of kind of standing in front he chased Matthews into the corner and then he retreated to the front of the net and didn't pick anybody up and Matthews just circled and Marner you know, made a great bullet pass, as you point out. And uh, Austin Matthews, with half the net to shoot at, is probably not going to miss, and he didn't. Uh, otherwise, we had uh, Nugent Hopkins uh, for allowing the pass from the side and for uh, uh, Eckholm for losing a battle. So that was kind of a more of a team breakdown than yeah. uh, just one player. Sometimes on a goal, it's just one mistake by one guy, boom. Uh, but this one was more, you know, a few small errors leading to a wide open chance in the goal. I, I've seen online, Bruce, and uh, that's always a mistake. But but people <laughs> people saying the primary culprit on that play was Skinner, and I I think the pass was good oh. enough so that you can't blame the goalie. What was he supposed to do? I know. He used his extended <laughs> stick to intercept the pass. I know. I mean, was a bull, it was a play circle from the one corner. It was a give and go, and and Marner just made a bullet return pass to a, you know a lead league's number one goal scorer. I, mean, I don't know. I, I I don't get that one. No, and and I just I'm on a linger here for a minute because like Oiler defense are playing well. They're breaking out well. Their coverage is good. They're being aggressive. Their penalty kill aggression is out of sight. I love it. But but I think also on a play like that, Bouchard did you know the, the, let's make him a culprit. 
but his play is very strong. And also, you, I think you have to give the other di- guy his due. Marner's pass is all world, Bruce. Yes. And and so, like, I understand giving errors. I understand every play has errors and everything. But but sometimes the other guy is just so damn good. Well, this is the National Hockey League, and there are good players on every team. Uh, even you know relatively weak teams like Toronto. <laughs> oh, Bruce! Could <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, not uh, No, they have another, they have like five all stars on their team. I mean, good, goodness gracious, sir, you know that's the most of any team, isn't it? So, anyways, uh, they uh, they executed a good play, and the Oilers just you know they came out a little bit tentative, and boom, and then nearly boom, boom. Like I said before, yeah. I mean, they, it, it was so, uh, so nearly. You know, it could easily have been three nothing early, early, and they, uh, uh, they, they got away with uh, a couple of those mistakes. And you know, mistakes. It's a game of mistakes. My wife reminds me constantly during the broadcast. Right. You know, when when stuff goes wrong, it's a game of mistakes, and she's not wrong. You know, it's it, it truly is, and. In some ways, uh, NHL games are the most boring when nobody makes any mistakes. Yeah. So what last night's game wasn't was boring, and there was plenty of mistakes. And Toronto made, uh, in the end, more than their share. Yeah, that's why they had to drum Nick Lidstrom out of the league because he never made any mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Get rid of that loser. Um, uh-huh. uh, so I- I'm noticing in this, I'm not blaming Jay Woodcroft. It seems to be the thing to do now is to either blame or praise him. But I think Ryan uh-huh. McLeod is healthy now, and, and I maybe we're seeing another gear. Uh, you know his like his pass to Derek Ryan was was really nice, and his goal was also nice. Nice little screen there from Connor McDavid. Not really his role, but he did it. McLeod's I think it's one point seven four or something like one point nine four points per sixty. He's got a sixty one percent goal share at five yeah. on five. I'm not saying he's emerging, Bruce, as a as a you know like a, something more than a third line center. But my goodness, there's some real touch on this player's passes and goals. Yeah, well, and I think after 20 games, he had no goals and three assists, and now he's up to eight, and what the heck is it? Uh, he, anyway, he's been uh, he's up to, you know, 20-point range and, and uh, 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 really delivering the offense, whether it be at left wing, where he had a real nice run with uh, Dreisaitl and Fogel for uh, a big chunk of this current winning streak, are back now at 3C because they do kind of need him there as well. You know, I mean, this is a, a guy that can can do more than one thing, and he's showing that. And I think maybe that's one area where uh, the approach of Knobloch is a little different in that he actually gave he gave McLeod that push up to, to left wing and actually left him there for a few games, and, and it really worked well. And you can see his confidence. Like the plays he made last night, you know, carrying the puck, but actually doing things that contributed to finishing plays. Like he's always been good at, uh, you know, what I call moving the ball between the twenties, yeah. as they say about NFL quarterbacks. But uh, in the red zone, that's never really been his strength. But geez, that bullet pass that he put on Ryan's stick, yeah. And uh, I'll add the little pinch by Cody CC in the tap on the ice to make himself a target that distracted one defender to CeCe and left Ryan open. Like, that was a team play. And then on the winning goal, the, the, the patience that he showed, picking the puck up behind the goal line and curling out, and absolutely 
picture perfect screen by uh, uh, McDavid uh, where he was in the goalie's eyes and then he rolled to one side to continue to block uh, uh, Jones' view of the puck and open the little hole in the top corner of the net. You could see it from the TV angle, perfect zing, in it went, perfect shot by uh, McLeod and, and uh, patience, you know, holding the puck and shooting it at the right moment. Like I've been on our po- Cult of Hockey podcast, made this point in the past a few times. He needs to watch some old Glenn Anderson footage and and realize that when uh, you know when Andy first came into the league, everything was was a rush, and he jammed pucks into goalies' pads and stuff. And it took him a little while to learn to hold it and take that extra step and let the hole open up and then get it upstairs. And that's kind of what we saw in that goal. And, uh, it's nice to see from this guy. He's getting better every year. He did improve under Jay Woodcroft a lot. So I give Jay Woodcroft credit, not debit, for uh, Ryan McLeod. And you're right, he was hurt to start the year. So he wasn't much help for maybe the first 10 or so games. Yeah, that's that's fair. Now, he's a, he's a, a, a admittedly rare uh, second-round pick who, who really has worked out 40 overall yep. in 2018. Stuart Skinner, a third-round pick, uh, number yep. 78 in 2017. He's working out well too, and what a you know it, it's funny because you look at his year, and uh, I mean I read the t- the text that would come in here, and Skinner was like, I mean he was he wasn't enemy number one because I I don't remember who was at the time, but there were other culprits, but I Skinner was no, yeah <laughs> not highly popular, and and the recovery has been exceptional across the roster, but his last say seventeen games of NHL hockey have really turned the tables in terms of the verbal surrounding Stuart Skinner. Well, a seven-game winning streak and an eight-game winning streak will do that, eh? Yeah. And uh, You'll remember uh, uh, Game 31 at uh, New York Rangers, uh, where the Oilers led 4-1. Well, Skinner held them in the game at one nothing down through two periods, and then the Oilers exploded for four. And Rangers got one on the power play with the goalie out, and then with one second left, they got kind of a sleazy one that uh, that shouldn't have happened. And Skinner was pretty upset, even though they won the game four or three. And he's, I think, he was quoted as saying he doesn't like to keep them to two or less. Well, guess what? The other guys haven't got the three since nine games in a row where the Oilers' opponents and two of these were pickered, but the other seven were Stu Skinner, two goals against or one or none. Gotta love it. Yeah, it's true. Um, so, I'm I'm saying to people they can catch the Kings, they can catch Vegas, and people are sending me texts back saying, "To hell with that noise, catch Vancouver." What does the the wise Bruce McCurdy think about uh, the Oilers being able to catch the Canucks here this year? Uh, well, if they keep winning all of their games, I like the chances. <laughs> uh, but it's going to take a while. I mean, unlike um, L.A. and and uh, and Vegas, well, you've pointed out, you know, they've dropped a lot of points in the last 10 games versus the Oilers dropping none at all. But Vancouver just keeps on rolling. Man, they had a great road trip. That's what they went five in a row in the middle of their seven-game road trip. Mm-hmm. And then they got a point from the last game. So you're not going to be overtaking that with any, any rate of speed. And they're still a long ways out front. And they're, they're still running this ridiculous heater terms of shots going in for them and not going in for the other team like their pdo is just off the charts and for the entire season vancouver's pdo is better than edmonton's is during the 11 game winning streak so that's uh, uh that's hard to do uh and they 
they you know they've got it going on but you know uh, I have memories of a season of was it 1992 that Vancouver finished first in the and the and Smythe division and then Edmonton rolled them in the first round of the playoffs I mean there's more than one way to you know it's it's, it's not all decided in the regular season let's put it that way so I'm going to make you the general manager and coach of the Edmonton Oilers right now now there's no pay involved, but I want Forget you to get the winning streak right now. <laughs> well, if I were in that position, I'd hire Mark Pouliot back to play third line center, so you know where that would go. So, Dylan Holloway, I watched him again last night, and he touches the puck a lot, and he's really yeah. good. He really is good uh, down in the minor leagues. They're going to call him up, back up. The word is that he's going to be like fourth line center. But I, I've been preaching here, he and Broberg and even Lavoie when you call them up. If you're going to call them up, you have to play them. How much, and understanding that the top two lines are going to get the lion's share of the work, how much should Holloway play, uh, and should it all be five on five? Well, which special team are you going to put them on? And that's always a question for the bottom sixers. And typically the answer is PK yeah. or else nothing. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, we see with James Hamblin. Uh, that he's playing nothing but five on five, and he's typically getting seven or eight minutes in the game. He's doing okay, but he's you know he's not getting huge minutes. He's not on the penalty kill, and he'll never be on the power play in a million years. I mean, maybe you put Holloway on the second power play uh, and give him a few seconds here and there that 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 group accumulates. Four uh, C seems a long way down. Uh, on the other hand, I'm liking what I'm seeing of Holloway at pivot. And I think he's showing some real, uh, uh, some some real uh, possibilities there. And you know, Edmonton's developing a pretty nice history of guys who can play both center and wing. I mean, mm-hmm. Drysaddle, as we know, can play both wings. Nugent Hopkins has converted. McLeod recently successfully converted. Now he's back at center. So they got lots of options. I wish one of them shot right. And I guess you could say that about Derek Ryan, but I'm thinking of, you know, in the longer term, it'd be nice to have a right shot guy with a future that uh, uh, could do those things. But, uh, uh, they, you know, they do have a nice group of athletes that, uh, uh, that can move around a little bit. And that flexibility is a coach's dream. Um, two more questions. First one, Connor Brown, like he's get, I think he's getting closer, but maybe it's a mirage. This is painful. I feel bad for him. Poor Connor Brown. seems like every game he gets like three chances and one, the goalie robs him and one, something happens. He hits a post or it misses the net. And the third one, it looks like he's going to get a great chance and he waits a, a, a a millisecond too long, and some guy comes out of nowhere and tips it into the crowd yeah, or into the netting. And, and he is getting closer and closer, and yet here we are, 40 games in, still stuck on zero. And who would have guessed? I mean, this is a guy who scored over 20 goals in this league on multiple times. And it's just bizarre. Um, but at this point, uh, you know, the bonus has sunk cost. He is what he is at this point, which is NHL minimum salary. So trading him for another guy is not going to help your cap, even if the other guy is NHL minimum. You know, you're not likely to get him for cheaper. Uh, and he is, I think, certainly a solid bottom sixer and an excellent penalty killer. And I'm just sort of twiddling my thumbs, waiting for that one to drop. Yeah. 
And you're thinking if he gets one, you know, and eventually he might even get, you know, two or three before the year. So well, you, you <laughs> the way t- things are going for the guy. Based on his career, if he scored 10 in the last 40, nobody should be surprised. Mm-hmm. But when you haven't right. scored any, it's kind of like a dream, right? Right. Well, that's a 20-goal pace, though. So even that yeah. now is a high bar. Like all along, I'm thinking, well, he's not going to get 20, but it's a pretty good chance he's going to get 10. Well, here we are halfway through, and he's still at zero. So even 10 kind of seems like a pipe dream. But I do think he'll score some goals and and uh, and help on the offensive end of the rink but uh, i i'm i'm liking many aspects of his game but obviously that is a great big gaping hole that there's uh, not a lot of offense that's showing up on the scoreboard bruce uh final question bruce mccurdy from the cult of hockey uh joining us wanted to talk a little bit i know everybody else had their shot and i wanted to give you yours as well uh john short uh passed away recently he had a great impact on me and pretty much every other uh broadcaster in the city but I did not know that that he was involved in you finding your way to the airwaves. Yeah, this is this goes way back, Alan. And thank you for asking. Uh, and uh, uh, this would have been when John was the voice, the golden voice on night sports talk uh, radio in this town. Many, many people, I among them, used to uh, uh, listen to his show, any sport, any time. Everybody's got a democratic right to be wrong. He didn't <laughs> hang up on people ever. Uh, you know, he, he always had uh, civil discourse, even with people that he clearly disagreed with. And I just like the tenor of his show. Anyway, in the 85-86 season, uh, I wrote a letter that I sent to the NHL uh, suggesting that they revive the Challenge Cup that they first awarded in 79. It's never been awarded since. Uh and make it an international club team tournament with the Stanley Cup champions, regular season champions, and two European teams, Central Red Army and, you know, Bojevice or whatever, whoever it was at that particular time. And I sent it off to John Ziegler and company in various places, and I cc'd it to, among others, John Short. Well, I heard back from John Short, and he said, I want to talk to you about this on the air, but why don't you come in? And so there was one, I think it was a Sunday night, and in the wintertime, it was like January, and I come in the dark, and my memory says it was John even who came down to let me in when I buzzed. That it could be. It would be either him or too tall. Was, yeah, yeah, it may yeah. have been. There was some, some interlocutor, but anyway, I wound up in the studio with the great John Short getting an opportunity to talk about my idea of, of what to be done with... Uh, international hockey which was really big in those days and uh, just the, the the opportunity to have my say and to see the studio and all the knobs and dials microphones and stuff it was uh, pretty exciting for a young 30 year old like myself <laughs> at that time that was my very first exposure to uh to um live radio right in the uh, in the live setting and of course uh uh, many years subsequently, I got that opportunity with yourself more than a few times at the uh, old studio in the same place, on Wafter Broadcasting on 184th Street. That was in 1986, I'm thinking January of 86. Yep. So the one thing that did come out of that, one, one of the things I suggested in my letter was that the NHL needed to revive uh, what had been the Prince of Wales Trophy, which had been awarded to the first-place champion in the league. and was a big deal way back in the day for winning the league over six months. And a few weeks after I sent the letter, which I did get an acknowledgement from, from Ziegler, or somebody writing on his behalf, uh, 
out of the blue, the NHL announced the President's Trophy right in the middle of the 1985-86 season, out of nowhere. And I always think, maybe that was my idea. Anyway, the Oilers went on to win it that year, and the next year they came the first year to win the double. President's Trophy and Stanley Cup. So I always take a little tiny bit of ownership. I love it. I love uh, it. Trophy. So anyway, uh, yeah. John John was a, a real gentleman, and I had the opportunity to, to break bread with him a few times over the years, not as many as I would like, but uh, nonetheless, uh, he uh, he will be missed. He was uh, a titan in uh, not just the radio industry, but media generally. Bruce, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Alan. Okay. Have a great- there you go. Bruce McCurdy, Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. Good job there cutting him off, Declan. That was excellent. Total accident. Nice didn't realize he was, didn't realize he Man was giving, he didn't realize. He his heart out about uh, John Chardon or just get rid of him. My, my stomach actually dropped when I accidentally cut him off. I thought he was just going to say uh, thank you, Alan. He wants to gone. pay for the airtime. He can come on. But oh otherwise, he took the hell out of here. I feel man. terrible. All right. On the way, Matthew Shinetti. Maybe we'll talk to him. Maybe Declan will hang up. I don't know. Low down with low tide on Sports 1440. Low down with low tide on Sports 1440. Brought to you by Wolf GMC Buick. Corner of 184th Street and Stony Plain Road. Hanging out until 2 o'clock today. Jason Greger will be by. Do we have Jason's uh, set list? Is he opening with uh, Start Me Up? How's that go? Like, is he, do we have his, his, his list of guests? We don't have, you know what? Let me see if Connor tweeted it out. I don't have the email here. Oh, we do have it. Look oh, at this. Oh, there, there we go. Yeah, yeah. All right, you want me to run through this quickly? Well, if you could. You know. All right. Ross Maroney is going to be by to talk some Washington Capitals at 220 at 240. Matt Murray of the Texas Stars, local guy, going to be by. Who is it Wednesday? Coming up at 3. At 4 o'clock, it's Mike Rupp, 420. Tyler Uremchuk, Sportsnet, Spec, as you may know him on Twitter. Mark Spector is going to be by at 5. Then Paul Sir at 520. Paul Sir. I hope they talk about Joel Embiid. I'll be listening. Big fan. Big fan. So I promised everybody that we were going to talk about Joel Embiid on this show. And because I'm a big fan of his, I, I like, I'm, I, I'm a 76ers fan. So, uh, if you're saying best 76ers team, I'm going to go back to 83. Malone, Dr. J, Mo Cheeks, great team. And since then, they've had, you know, Barkley, Iverson. I don't know that they're going to win a championship with Joel Embiid, but he is he is a truly unique, wonderful ball player. Describe him to me. Tell him. Tell me why. Like I know why I think he's unique, but tell me why you think he's unique. I look at Joel Embiid as Hakeem Olajuwon with less mobile footwork, but they're both active big men in the low post. Yeah. They both use mo- movement very well. Joel Embiid has a nice touch on his jump shot. And you look at some of the big men of yesteryear, the Shaquille O'Neal, yesteryear but still recent, the okay. Shaquille O'Neal's, the Dwight Howard's, guys like that. Those were back to the ba- basket, physical, powerful big men. Joel Embiid plays with finesse. Now, he doesn't have the finesse touch like a Nik- Nikola Jokic does, but I don't think there's anyone on earth, Nikola Jokic included, who wouldn't tell you Joel Embiid isn't a better scorer. He has good touch around the rim. He gets to the lines, which I've said isn't necessarily conducive in playoffs. He has great movement in yeah. the low post, and he can play in the high post off the block as well. So that's why I want to talk about this because I'm a 76ers fan and I feel it I feel this team is slipping away again. They they had Harden who was a unique talent and I thought they might do something and now they're they're 
you know, if Embiid plays lights out and they're getting calls, then it's going to work out and they're going to win. If not, it's going to be a struggle. And if Embiid is hurt, then it's all over. Don't even watch the team. So what could you infuse into that team right now? What, what player or player type that would make them closer to a championship caliber team? I think I really like Tyrese Maxey. Mm-hmm. I think he's a good, I think he's a great player. I think he's going to be a good piece in that franchise. But what I liked about the idea of James Harden, not James Harden, but a guy like James Harden who can go out there and who can get you 40 points a night if Joel Embiid has an off night. Maybe not 40. You don't need that because that's superstar of superstar. But a guy who can go out there and get a legitimate 30. Tyrese Maxey's done it, but I don't know he can do it consistently. Tobias Harris isn't that guy. Ben Simmons, when he was there, obviously we know how it happened, how he fell off, the injuries, the trades, eh, whatever. He wasn't a guy who was going to go and get you 30, 30 consistently. You need a dominant wing scorer who can go out there and can give you buckets when Joel Embiid's having an off night. So, and I, like, I appreciate you telling me that. And now I'm going to ask you a follow up question, uh, even though you're on the phone right now, uh, because I want to talk about the Toronto Raptors. They made a trade today. Uh, or they're making a trade. Pascal Siakam going to the Indiana Pacers for a package that includes Bruce Brown Jr. and three picks, including some in 2024. So for the Raptors, this is long talked about, and they've been active, and they've been sliding, and now it looks like this is this is the one that's hitting, and it's a big deal because obviously Siakam is is you know heading to the to the uh, uh, Indiana Pacers, and there's going to be all of that to take care of, and then on top of that, the Raptors are really setting course. Uh, with Scotty Barnes, and so the, we're we're looking at uh, an opportunity for the Toronto uh, Raptors to kind of reset the roster, maybe at the draft, and maybe they end up trading some of these picks. So we're not right sure about that. So we'll we'll talk to you. I'll ask you about that about the Siakam trade here. Uh, do we have Mr. Shinetti? We do. Joined now by Matthew Shinetti from TSN. How are you, sir? What's going on, my friend? Good to hear your voice. Now, what kind of sneakers are we wearing today? You know what? Uh, you, uh, it's. I'm not going to go ahead and compare to where you are in your side of the country, but it is cold-ish in Toronto today, so I'm wearing Rockports, if you can believe oh. it. Uh, so that's. Uh, don't tell anybody. No. But uh, no, there, there, there's 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 no checks today because uh, us Eastern softies are dealing with uh, <laughs> a minus fifteen today. I will tell you, in my lifetime, one of the most uncomfortable days I've ever spent was in Toronto in the summertime, and I don't know if the humidity was especially bad coming off the lake, but I had to change my shirt four times. I'm not even kidding you during the day. Yeah, well, we could we could have a long conversation about what is worse, uh, cold or damp cold. I'm oh, sorry, dry cold or damp cold or humidity. Um, <laughs> but uh, all I can say is the one thing about Toronto is it gives you every edge of the spectrum it uh, does especially when it comes to when it comes to weather i remember i was walking with a guy that i worked with we were in toronto for a seminar and we were walking by the original canadian tire and it was 30 degrees and i was sweating and he said we should go in there and i was ready to choke him i said i'm going to the hotel i need to have a shower and get a shirt (laughs) i'm not walking another this is too damn humid it was awful yeah yeah i can tell you i've been too many times during uh games in either hamilton or uh toronto it's been especially hamilton uh, and we are super digressing here, but especially Hamilton on Labor Day when it's on the field. It, no. This past year was like 40, 45 degrees <laughs> oh on God. the field humidity. I uh, People were looking at me while I was wearing a suit, and they're like, what are you doing? I was like, listen, man, i got to be professional even in the seat. 
so I want to talk, but there's so many CFL things to talk about, but I want to talk about McLeod Bethel Thompson. Uh, fans here are big fans of Trey Ford. So this was a little bit of a shocker and they've made another move, which we'll talk about that, that will hopefully help, uh, Bethel. But, but this is a guy who like has won a couple of great cups, was the starter in 2022. He, he's bona fide and he is a, a CFL quarterback of some quality. So when Jones go out and get the guy, you can understand why if you take the Trey Ford part of it, out of it. So from the point of view of, 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 of getting a player who could help them win and then having Ford as the backup or the, the secondary, the developing player, it is a position of strength now for the Elks. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's fair, but you still have to go ahead and you can still feel, I don't know, maybe sympathy is the wrong word, but my goodness, do you feel, do you feel bad for Trey Ford? Because I, I was with one of his coaches from Waterloo on the field in Toronto when he made that play before halftime, when he rolled out to his left and threw across the field, something that, again, you're not supposed to do as a professional quarterback, but he, he made it look so effortless in his execution that you were like, this is a guy who can operate off schedule so well. And then now you bring in someone like McLeod Buffalo-Thompson, who, I mean, you look, his resume speaks for itself. He's been in so many uh, NFL camps, has played in, in nearly every professional league in the U.S., certainly was a backup to Ricky Ray, was part of that 2017 Argos team that won a great cup. And then, you know, had, had it not been for, for his son, would have likely finished that game. Uh, you know, certainly Chad, Chad Kelly coming in sparked uh, the Argos uh, comeback late, late on in that game in Regina against uh, Winnipeg in, in 2022. But he comes in with, with a resume. But I still look at Trey Ford and, and this whole idea, and I, you know, I know my colleague Marshall Ferguson has, has, has talked about this many a times, the investment in a, in a Canadian quarterback. Definitely we saw it with Nathan Work, but that's different because he went to an American university. Trey Ford and all of his talents and what he was able to do, I remember looking at his coach going, all he needs is good coaching. He just needs a belief and a buy-in. He needs someone to look at him and say, we believe in your abilities. Uh, but this might ultimately end up being something great for, for Trey Ford because uh, from a psychological standpoint and a, and, a, and a culture and locker room standpoint, I can tell you that one of the reasons that Chad Kelly, uh, you know, apart from certainly that East final loss and, and uh, his interceptions against the Montreal Alouettes, one of the reasons he was able to come into the league and operate the way he did is because he spent time behind McLeod Bethel Thompson. And he watched a guy who, yes, MBT will wear his heart on his sleeve, but he is so committed to winning and building a locker room culture. And Trey Ford is going to look at that and, and learn even more so how to be a leader. But I really think there, there has to come a point where uh, Chris Jones, G. Roy Simon, the whole front office staff and coaching staff in Edmonton really look at Trey Ford and say, are we doing the best we can? Because this, this, this young quarterback has so much talent, but you can't deny the, the, the absolute opportunity it is to bring in McLeod Buffalo Thompson, but I still feel bad for Trey Ford. So is there any possibility, and I'm not trying to stir anything up, I've already had people mad at me, but if 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 a team like, say, Calgary came with an offer for Trey Ford it, it, and it was substantial, is there any chance the Elks would move off of Ford and move him out? Uh, especially in the CFL when, you know, draft picks uh, and certainly now with the added uh, incentive of, of getting players off of of negotiation list. I mean, certainly you can look at Chad Kelly was on the, was on Edmonton negotiation list. And then with it, the trade for Nick Arbuckle made his way over to Toronto and certainly has benefited the, benefited the Argos. There are always deals that could certainly sweeten the, 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 op, the opportunity for the Elks to, to let Trey Ford go to another, another team. But 
I don't know why they would do that. You have the opportunity here to really build something with, with this young man. He, he's got all the tools. But at the same time, I think about the possibility. And, you know, there are other quarterbacks in other situations. Uh, you, you, you think of, of, of certainly what Dave Dickinson is, is going to want to try to do with Jake Mayer in, in, uh, in Calgary and say nothing of what Vernon Adams Jr. did uh, with Jordan McSimmick in, in B.C., but those those teams are invested in their quarterbacks. And what, if you could if you could imagine if you're an Elks fan, if if they had gone ahead and said, hey, listen, we're bringing Curly Gittins Jr. because we want him to grow alongside an, a Canadian quarterback in Trey Ford. We want to give him the tools and the coaching. Uh, it's the only part of this deal that doesn't that doesn't sit well with me. Is that yes, it's going to benefit him psychologically, but Trey Ford has shown so many flashes that that you really want to see the Elks invest in him and give him the opportunity and the tools around him to grow. Because much like Vernon Adams Jr., we've seen him grow and elevate his game. I, can, I think we can see the same in, uh, through Trey Ford, too. But if the Elks were to go ahead, I imagine if a team were to come with a name on a negotiating list and, and, and a couple of draft picks to make it advantageous, uh, I could potentially see the Elks moving on from, from Trey Ford. But at the same time, too, McLeod Buffalo-Thompson is in his mid-30s. This is not someone that you're going to get a long-term uh, or going to have a long-term investment in. So I think keeping Trey Ford, too, is, is a huge asset for the Elks. Curly Gittins is a, is a, you know, he's known, he's 26, he's got lots of miles on him. He's established in the Canadian Football League. Uh, interesting trade for both teams. I think for the Argos, it, it benefits them in one way because with Corey Mason now moving on to head coach, be the head coach of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, uh, there certainly will be a lot of defensive guys on the on the on the Argos who are going to want to make the leap to Regina. So bringing Jake Sarezna in it, it certainly gives them a little bit of a, not insurance, but you know a guy who can obviously start uh, from a pass rusher's uh, position in this league and is and has done so well. Even though um, you know referees beware when he does his celebration, uh, he 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 could certainly be uh, a, a great asset to the Argos. But Curly Gittins Jr. Maybe this was the benefit of the Argos not really having a a number one receiver in terms of yardage. Uh, they certainly had guys who, uh, who Chad Kelly could rely on. And, you know, you think of the Brissettes, you certainly think of what Curly Gittins did. You think of what DeMonte Coxie did, but he has so much talent. Curly Gittins does, and he developed so much. I was talking to the Argos receiver coach, um, Pete Costanza this year, and he was talking about Curly Gittins certainly getting paid by the Argos and on a contract extension, but really being diligent in his route running, wanting to be able to be that guy, that number one receiver for, for Chad Kelly and injuries hampered the end of his year. But I think he'll go into a situation knowing McLeod Bethel Thompson and there'll be that comfort level there. Uh, and that allows him to build some immediate chemistry. Uh, but still it, it, for both teams, it, it, it seems like a trade that could pay dividends, at least in the short term. Uh, I wanted to ask you about free agency. We're, we're a little ways away from it, but the, the free agent list right now, right to the top, like it's, it's fascinating and, and it drives me crazy and I know why it's done, but it, it feels like as good as this list looks right now, by the time we get to free agent, it'll be pruned pretty badly by re-signings. I, I think you saw the tone that was going to be set in free agency this year, perhaps by what the Alouettes did and bringing back every, mostly everybody, certainly Austin Mack is, is going to take an opportunity in the, uh, in the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons. But they went ahead and said, we're going to keep our core together. The big one that, that I am interested to see is in Toronto and what kind of um, subtractions could happen on their roster only because that defensive line 
played so well and was so healthy and was able to rotate players in and out during uh, during the season. What happens perhaps with with AJ with AJ Olek uh, and what that running game looks like in Toronto now that you know the the, the team will be moving on from from someone like Andrew Harris. So uh, I just this is going to be a year where. Uh, every team will look, every team has the opportunity. I really do think on paper, uh, there is no one singular dominant team. Certainly the, the, the Blue Bombers um, will, will claim uh, after getting for the Grey Cup again that they've got the inside track, but there's so much opportunity here. But with the way that the way that Montreal started their offseason by bringing their core back, uh, it certainly cemented them in saying they wanted to keep their culture. But of all the teams in free agency uh, that I think could could probably be uh, impacted by departures. Uh, I'm looking at the Argos. What about Oliveira? The one thing about Brady Oliveira that, that I think is 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 going to be interesting from his perspective is this: at this at his age, and given everything that he's achieved in this in this league, is it his time to look at uh, getting a huge payday, uh, which he no doubt deserves? Is it his opportunity now to look at the NFL uh, on a contract where the running back situation in the NFL isn't always one that wants to bring in uh, or looks at running backs of a certain age? Certainly, a Canadian running back would be a, a great challenge for him. But he's so integral to what Winnipeg did last year. Um, and really, he had the opportunity and, and in this constant conversation about how the MOP vote should should kind of evolve, uh, he was an MOP candidate and was so crucial, not just to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, but how Zach Calero operated as a starting quarterback. I just think um, if if the Bombers move on from him, then they've really gone ahead uh, or they're, le- they're going to be willing to let him walk because they don't want to match his number. I don't know. It's it's it. I don't I don't think that that would benefit the Bombers at all if they're trying to get back to uh, a fifth straight Grey Cup appearance. But this is uh, he's Brady Oliveira certainly earned the opportunity to dictate his own marketplace. And as I was talking to him uh, towards the end of the season and into the playoffs, he was just someone who had had come to that place where it, it can be dangerous at the negotiating table. He's a he's a Canadian running back in the vein of John Cornish, in the vein of Andrew Harris, who knows his value. The question is, are the Bombers going to pay up? Yeah, it's going to be wild stuff. Thanks for this. Appreciate it. Take care, guys. All right, there you go. It's the only time I've ever talked to Matthew Shinetti where he wasn't raving about a particular running shoe that he was wearing, uh, and that's how cold it is. So I have a question for you, a CFL question, and then we'll take a wrap and we'll take a break, okay? So, Oliveira, if he does, is there any chance you're... Because the Rough Riders, I'm sure, would like to steal you know, um, a player away from, but you've got of course. Hickson and Morrow. I think they're yep. signed. Yes. Um, where do you think the Rough Riders are going in free agency? <sighs> That's a good question. Is it going to be Toronto? Is it going to be all of those DBs in Toronto? Is that where they're headed? Yeah, I think that's probably, man, that's probably the best place to go. Like, if I'm looking at like a like one name, I don't know. I mean, like a guy I would love. This isn't a defensive back, but just now that you've got me on Toronto, I mean, like Sean Lemon is a guy I would love to go out there and get. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I I'm. I know he was with Montreal, but we're we're, st- we're almost a month away, right? Like we should probably spend a little time on that. Maybe no, we'll, we'll have to get into it. Yeah, yeah I mean, like. Yeah. 
It's tough. I don't know. It's tough. I don't know. I don't know what Corey Mace's plan is going to look like. Well, I think the plan. Every rough rider head coach goes in there and plans to go six and twelve. That's well. That certainly seems to uh, be how it plays <laughs> out. I don't know if that's the plan. The plan. I'm such a jerk. Brandon Alexander would be another gray one. Played in Winnipeg last year, but yeah. I don't like. It's just I. I don't know what the appeal is to go from Winnipeg to Saskatchewan. It's got. It's just one of those ones you don't do too much. I well, mean, we see it more in the CFL than any other league because, of course, from the nine teams. But I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, Winnipeg's been robbing. I, who was the 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 offensive lineman who went the other way? Um, mm, a decade or so ago. But usually, it's the 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 bombers getting. University of Manitoba Bison's back on their roster who have been drafted by the Rough Riders. That happens quite a bit. All right, 144. We're late for the break, but I love that conversation. On the way, we're going to talk the Raptors trade and what it means. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440, driven by Wolf GMC Buick. Corner of 184th Street and Stony Plain Road. That's a good song. I don't know who it is. Who is that? That was Florida Georgia Line and Luke Bryan. Nice. Yeah, not Real bad. nice song. I'm glad you liked it. Well, I, you know, I enjoy all forms of music. Uh, chamber music's a bit much, you know, and uh, uh, the Woof and Poof song irritates me. Well, I'll keep those out of the rotation. Have you heard the Woof and Poof song? Uh, of course not. Okay. It's just irritating. Well, we won't play it. Sounds like Wolverines. Uh, Jordy uh, says, when 1260 shut down the sports show, I was pretty distraught. Just wanted to say it's great to hear you guys on the airwaves again. Well, thank you. We're glad to be here. I mean, I am. I don't know about Declan. I'm happy to be here. I like being here. Keep telling yourself. I want to keep getting better, but I like being here. Um, <laughs> so I want to talk about Siakam because it seems like that was the subject matter at the beginning of the year. Barnes is going to establish himself. Siakam's going to be traded. So those two things have happened, right? Like now he is established. He's the future, and they're moving on from these picks. Are at least some of them are this year, and that has to have more torque or more you know appeal, either for the Raptors to use or for them to trade for real players. Is that fair? Well, the one thing I'll say about the appeal this year is, like I said, it's kind of a weak draft this year, like. Like, Wemby and Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson from last year's draft, you know, the, the three guys who could have gone number one if they weren't all involved in the same draft. This year, I guess you have a clear-cut number one guy in Alex Starr, but after that, it's a pretty weak draft. So what's the appeal for using them this year? Probably lower than than other years just because of the quality of the draft. Now, there is the immediacy value. I totally get that. I completely understand where that's coming from. Taking these picks and flipping them into another player, I don't think is something the Raptors want to do. I think they need to build for the future. They need to build around Scotty Barnes. This is not the team that won the 2019 championship anymore, and that was now five years ago. There's one player left from that team remaining. It's Chris Bruchet, who's a role player at best. I don't know if you could go taking these player, these picks and fl- flipping them for players to try and put you in win-now mode because I think now this is truly the start of the rebuild, and despite what I said about the draft being a little bit weaker, you use those picks to build around Scotty Barnes. And they are good at drafting. 
Yeah, I mean, I like, I I don't hate their draft process. Pascal was great; he was a great snag. Scotty is obviously a great snag. Masai Ujiri is, you know, he's not, he's a very good GM. He made some great moves. Obviously, was part of the. Uh, he brought in Kawhi Leonard that got them a championship. He uh, he he's done some very good things. Brought in R.J. Barrett this uh, this past trade with O.G. Ananobi. Brought him back home. I like him as a GM. He's a smart guy. He knows what he's doing. I'm sure he's going to find a diamond in the rough, but. He better. That's the thing, because now you've traded away Pascal, a guy who a lot of people thought was going to be the franchise player after that 2019 championship. The reins have been handed over to Scotty Barnes. So if you're trading Pascal now and getting this huge haul back for him, you better find that diamond in the rough. You better get those draft picks that are going to build around uh, Scotty Barnes and be a part of your future and your your young core for a long time to come. Great snag. Is that a new lingo thing that you young people have come up with? Great. Can I have the context, please? You said that's a great snag, you said. I said that? When did I say great snag? Unless I'm completely off my rocker and like I'm stroking out or something over here. I don't know if I said great snag. We we've had a day, haven't we? We had It's been the, a bit of a weird one, hasn't it? I couldn't remember the name of the It's been a little long. Coach three times ago in Edmonton. Yeah. If I said great snag in reference to RJ Barrett, I like RJ Barrett. I think the better we were talking snag talking about the Raptors drafting. Oh, well, in that case, I was probably talking about Scotty Barnes being a great snag because he was. Rookie of the year has turned into a franchise player now. Since you said it, you've said you didn't say it, which implies either you're not paying attention or memory loss short term is an issue. I might have. Well, this is the thing with me, and you've probably realized this as we've been on the air together. I tend to ramble a little bit. My mind moves faster than my words. No, I refuse to hear that. And sometimes I'll think of the point I'm trying to get to. In this case, being how how great a draft pick Scotty Barnes was by Messiah Jury, and I probably filled that time with words until I got to that thought, and I might have said great snack, which he was. So is this one of the things that Mrs. Andrews might have talked about back in the day? I don't know if I talked that fast back then. I think a big part of it now is I'm still nervous here sitting across from you being in your presence, being on air. Well, get I, over that. It's not okay. that big a deal. Well, if that's the case, I'll slow down a little, but I'm still I'm trying to impress you subconsciously maybe, and that's why Honestly, I fly through it, things. The, I, I, it's, it's just I'm not one of those guys who's ever going to stand up and say, my God, that was brilliant because, you know, I'm not. Well, and that, if that's the case, I'm really, I'm really going to tone you it know, down but a I, bit. i've told you you're great i mean I, I don't have any other gear you know i'm i'm not you know uh um, sparky anderson was one of my favorite managers in baseball and he really was a raw raw guy like i remember one time he was talking about a third baseman named howard johnson who ended up going to the mets and, and winning a world series in 86 i believe and by the time he was done talking about howard johnson which would have been like in 85 i thought i was talking he was talking about mickey mantle Maybe I should do that for you. I'll start the show by talking about how brilliant you are. That would go a long way. But it, it can't be unfounded. That's the thing. You have to mean it. it has well, then to maybe merit. I could talk about your sister or little brother. There that, we go. You know, if you want to talk about... Uh, avoid yeah. and ignore you, you know. I so wish we could get Mrs. Andrews on. That would be ideal. That's your dream guest, well, hey? I'm for me, saying. it's Jimmy Butler. But if yours well, is Mrs. Andrews... I'd like Mark Pouliot. He'd be good, too. Uh, all right. Thanks so much for tuning into the Lowdown. I want to thank our guest, Bruce McCurdy from the Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. We cut him off. Uh, and also Matthew Shinetti from TSN. On the way, the Jason Greger Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. We do have a lot of fun, honestly, and no feelings were hurt during the broadcast of this show. Enjoy your day. It's time for an update.